0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Let's Scare Jennifer to Death. I am your host, Jennifer Ann Gordon, the author of the Kindle Award winning novel Beautiful, Frightening and Silent, as well as the Hotel series and Pretty Ugly. With me today is a best-selling true crime author, Alan Warren, and he is here to talk all things true crime, but especially his latest novel, his latest book, shouldn't say novel, uh, <laughs> which is Killer Queen's volume one, which I believe, Alan, is it still available for pre-order or is it out yet?
1: No, nope, pre-order, pre-order until the 18th is when it comes oh, out.
0: Exciting. So, um, so we are going to be talking about Killer Queen's today, uh, some people here might know and recognize Alan's voice. He is the host of the very popular radio show, House of Mystery. So without further ado, welcome, Alan. Tell our viewers and our listeners a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, I'm Al Warren. <laughs> I don't know. What do you want to know? I um, Let's see. I uh, come from producing radio shows for a long time into doing my own show, which has been running 10 years now, and I've got 22 books published. This will be number 23. So
0: That is just like such a massive, like when I think about all of those words <laughs> <laughs> that, have, that you've you know written, so um, congratulations. And are all of the, all, all, are, are all mm-hmm. of the books true crime?
1: Um, They're all nonfiction, I should say, because some of them I did the In Chains, which was about um, human trafficking. And I've also done a book on cults and uh, religion as well. So I think that um, it sort of varies. Um, So I don't know if you really call that see my dogs yeah i don't know <laughs> if you call that true crime i mean i, I
0: feel like um there can be a slippery slope with some of those things you just mentioned like religion and true crime can also go hand in hand and cults and true crime can go hand in hand
1: they're like first cousins
0: first cousins kissing cousins <laughs> yeah <at times>.
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah well i think they well the emphasis on the cults was i was taking a lot of the uh modern day sort of modern day people like uh charles manson and i was comparing um what would we What would we think about if Jesus was around right now? Like if this guy came up and said, I can cure people, he wore mm. a robe and that, like I was trying to compare how people are looking for that. And right. yet, yet a lot of these people that have these groups or they end up being called cults end up breaking the law and killing a lot of people and doing exactly. bad things. Exactly, yeah.
0: It, it all you know. starts out, you know, so yeah benevolently hippies living in a bus in the desert yeah. starts out with love starts out with love starts out as you know um excitement and then it just like slowly morphs into i am the only one that can save you
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. i have a
0: messiah complex and you yeah. will do
1: well and you i, I for me. well i noticed too because you talked about that midnight mass
0: Oh, I loved series, Midnight right? Mass. I was just about to bring that up when you when you brought
1: up. <laughs> I think I think the the strong <laughs> the point was that was like how he it was really kind of a a way of looking at cults and religion and the and the close ties, the way he was, you know, drink the Kool-Aid almost. Yes, like it, exactly. you know what I mean? It just sort yeah, of it, was, it really
0: was. Yeah. Um because they just, you know, um, for those of you who are watching this or listening who haven't seen Midnight Mass yet, it is a uh, a horror television show on Netflix that I don't want to give too too much away, but it, obviously it involves a priest and the Catholic <laughs> Church and what may or may not be faith or hysteria or an angel or a demon. And um but the great part about that show is they really just verbatim took lines from the Bible. Mm. and you but you got to see it in like a different twist, a different slant.
1: Well, totally. And and how someone can be talked into thinking whatever they're doing, they're doing it for the right reason. They're yes. doing it for, the, for their their saviour, so to speak, or God or yes. um, whatever. So they think, e- even though it can be something really bad, it's got to be good because they're, you know what I mean? It sort of yeah. turned into where they thought this was good behavior. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I feel like that can very easily segue us into uh, your new book, Killer Queens, which um, is a study a dissection of the Leopold and Loeb case. So f- again, for people who do, are not familiar with this case, do you want to tell us a little bit about that?
1: Well, um, it's it's the first book in a series and the series is really going to be covering um, uh, killings centered around the gay community. Okay, it can be gay killers or maybe gay victims. Um, the, the The main idea is to Look at the reasoning and the differences between them uh, in within the gay community and how it, it and how how we behave toward it. There's a lot of aspects to it. It's hard for me to put into to a quick word, but it's you know it, it's in society. How does society look at what they're doing and treat people that are gay, for instance, whether they're a victim or killer? And I think in a lot of the books coming up, you'll see how, um, a lot of policing had ignored gay victims for so many years.
0: You know, and you see that. At, like, I, I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts, and over and over again, you know, cases throughout the years, you always have, we'll say victims primarily, that cops have said, oh, well, it was just, quote-unquote, just a prostitute. Oh, yeah. it, he, it was a gay hustler. Like, yeah. like, like, And the tone and the thought... And the idea of this death being almost less than
1: right then had it been a like a,
0: a cherubic yeah. white teenage girl.
1: Yeah, and and you know, and, and you see, it's still. <laughs> look at the, the all the news with the uh, Gabby the Gabby
0: uh, girl, and yeah. every
1: day, and HLN shows a two hour special at night, the updates on it, and 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 you sit there and think, wow, uh, why? I mean, I, I feel terrible for the girl. I feel terrible for the family, the situation. But there's so many like that going on. But they yeah. pick her because to, of, to
0: become the poster child. Well, because yeah. she was an Instagram influencer, and she was so pretty. <laughs> and how can something so terrible happen to somebody who is so pretty and.
1: Mm. But they, I don't think they realize that that in itself is kind of part of the problem of how we behave towards crime and how we so market it so to speak because that's really what they're doing you know i mean you know nancy grace and the whole group's all out there talking about it every night and it's great talk stuff but there's no new information (laughs) they just keep no, and talking. I'll admit,
0: every day I check because I'm just well, like, have they found him yet? Like
1: Yeah. Uh, but the sad thing is, even when they're looking in Florida, they found the body of a of a young Asian girl dead in the park. And it gets a two minute blip and that's it. You never hear her again because she's not like the influencer, <laughs> I guess. Well, uh, it's and, and strange. That,
0: there was also um, I believe a double murder very close to where Gabby Petito was mm-hmm. killed. And it was two lesbian women. Yeah. And yeah. that was, it was like there and gone. Like, yeah. Oh, could these things be like, Oh, is that a little doggy? I hear? <laughs> a,
1: he, he's, one of them's got a toy.
0: Oh, it, <laughs> it's that just dog got trouble. Very excited about yeah. the Gabby Petito case. I
1: guess. See, <laughs> see, that's why I got to turn on yeah. Gabby for the dog. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so, uh, like, when I was started to read uh, your book, Killer Queens, about Leopold and Loeb, I actually thought about those two women, those two victims that were, you know, recently found. And yeah. I can't remember the name of the park. Uh, and, yeah. and I thought, again, once again, like, how sad it is that, you know, some some cases, some victims never even, I don't even want to say get justice, but they don't even get the opportunity for justice. They don't even get the collective consciousness of our society to care.
1: Right, and that's constant. It's been through the beginning. And I tried to have that, a little introduction about that because it's important for people to realize that um, um, once you're, uh, how do you say, um, labeled as gay. So, um, you know, you look at someone like Alan Turing who was the code breaker for the war from the uk and he's british and 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 he's great man worked really hard to help save the war and because he had sex with another man he had a choice of either serving time in jail or being castrated so that he took the castration and then he killed himself but that's people have to realize that's what society thought you there's something wrong with you first it's illegal it's it's a crime it's bad then it becomes a sickness (laughs) yeah so now you're sick like
0: what's worse is it is it worse for it to be a crime is it worse for it to be a quote-unquote sickness like
1: you you can't win either way because it doesn't matter what and so so with that in mind of society then the group around people that when there's someone killed that's gay or someone it see so like what if you've been murdered and you're gay it's kind of like well it's not a big issue I mean, you, you
0: especially in like, we'll say the time period of the Leopold and Loeb case. Like, right. It was the 19- 1924. Mm. And the gay community was very, you know, un- under wraps. Like, yeah, they, well, there
1: was none. Yeah. There was none.
0: Well, they were in big city Chicago. But yeah. I, I was, you know, what I didn't know about that case was that these two men, they had like, you know, code names for each other when they would go out <laughs> or even when they would like talk about wanting to go out near their yeah. families
1: yeah like, you couldn't bring it up No, they they happened to be in wealthy families and uh of good stock as you'd say so they had to <laughs> yeah. they had to have an image they had to behave a certain way so when they were going to do something it was you know go to the dill club which was the only place gays could go then uh, and I, I did
0: love the name <laughs> of the club. I'm like, the Dill Pickle Club?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I
0: want to go there
1: now. Yeah. I thought it was funny. But, uh, but when you're going and hiding out and doing your thing, you keep it from your family, you keep it from everyone. So that was a big secret. And, and again, the mentality back then was not gay club. It was just a place that alternative thinkers would go. We didn't say, you know, let's go exactly. to the gay club.
0: Let's go to the gay club and hang out right. and have a good time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, think, I I liked, um, I think it was Leopold, the way he was describing it, as just like, you know, a place for like-minded individuals to go and debate. <laughs> I was just like, okay, yeah. yeah it, it's yeah. basically a, a a debate club, a it gay is. debate club. <laughs> okay. Well,
1: and there's, there's, there's a real, the book too, which is be out in February, um, happens the same time because it's Fritz Harman. Fritz Harman and his partner were doing much worse things in Germany and Berlin was like the gay capital you might say of the world.
0: It was, it was very, I feel like, and I hate to say this but I think at that that time there were people who were just like straight in the straight community but maybe artists or free thinkers and they would go to the gay clubs Almost as if it was just like, oh, like, let's do this naughty thing. Let's go see how these
1: people live. (laughs) Well, in a way, but it was also in celebrity there. Because what had happened was, this is the very big, important tie-in, is that uh, there was an institute in Berlin. They conducted the very first transsexual operation of a man into a woman. And um, with that, he got permission from the, the... emperor king at the time before the nazis and all that and so basically the police they had date they had these passes for anybody that was a trans transgender transsexual anything like that so you could wear you could wear a dress and not walk be around arrested. berlin and you're yeah. not arrested and so what happened was tons of cabarets and clubs and places opened and everybody went there so it was like the big thing to do it was like the trendy thing to do in the 20s right because it was also a a risky time right people were getting yeah. a little bit more sexual and everything was going on now that one his that doctor his assistant is the guy that went to chicago and was the doctor for the leopold Loeb case and that that's the tie-in and it that volume two brings in is to show you how You have the same type of mentality in in doctors, the same time of the world, and how Berlin and Chicago treated it so differently. And and another important part was when you're in um, Berlin and all that partying is going on and they're having sex change operations and all this stuff. uh, At the same time, Nietzsche, right? Which a lot of people don't know who Nietzsche. Nietzsche was like a philosopher. And uh, the Nazis, really picked up on that. That They looked at him as really important for their, I don't know, theology. So uh, the Nietzscheism, now both Leopold and Loeb were totally into Nietzscheism and Nietzsche, and believed they were the overlords, so anything that they did to these underlings, normal people, wasn't a crime. So if they want to steal something from you, kill you, whatever, it's not a problem, because they are a part of the the superior race. And it's really bizarre.
0: It's bizarre. It's bizarre for a lot of reasons.
1: (laughs) And Leopold was a big Hitler supporter.
0: Which is (laughs) I just like like all none of those things like made sense in my brain. I'm just like, how does this happen? Like, don't you see? Like, he's not on your side.
1: <laughs> no, but you see, but you see, it, 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 they don't see because they believe that, see, there's a point where they follow someone. It's back to that cult thing. Mm-hmm. They're in love with the leader. But there is a point during that time where all of a sudden it goes from the leader into the actual um, theology or idea behind the cult. So, they no longer need that person. So, that's why you have cults like David Koresh where he's dead, but they're still waiting for him to come back. Because it doesn't matter. They're going to follow what they've been taught. And it, there's, there's some, t- some sort of point, which I've never been able to figure out, uh, <laughs> of where, where You're that You're going to have crossover. to write
0: 22 more books no. <laughs> to figure that
1: out. <laughs> no, I couldn't handle that. That's too much for me. That's uh, a lot of work.
0: So what made you decide on Leopold and Loeb for the first book in this series?
1: The Honest Truth? Um, yes
0: (laughs) or (laughs) um now i don't know lie to me (laughs) yeah okay
1: it's better that way no actually the honest truth is that i was working on fritz Harmon in germany and berlin and doing that case and i had and, and i had got the connection from the doctor to the chicago case and so i started working on that so i was working on all of that at the same time and they're both almost completely finished and what happened was um it was taking me longer to get Fritz Harman's part done because all of the documents are in German. Everything. All the court documents, even the police officers, detectives, all of their writings to each other, his his confession, it's all in German. So I had to go back and translate everything. But then when you get it translated, then you have to go through it and reread it because they spoke in a different um, way of phrasing. They would say different words to mean different things. And they'd say it Totally different. And so, even just
0: the sentence structure of German oh, is completely different than. It's, it's So if even if you just crazy. like, just translate it like word for word, like this sentence. Yeah. I took German for three years in high school, and I still would. I'm like,
1: it's crazy. I can't we, did figure it out. We, we did that. We did that. It took so long to do that with everything because you have to go word to word, and if you're you're doing a um, transcript or you're doing someone's words, how they wrote it or how they said it. If you don't. Do it exactly how they say it, then then it's really it becomes tricky to try and rewrite someone's words, you know. But if they yeah. say it in a way of, oh, I wanted a good egg, right? What does that mean? Right. You, know, you said, what does that mean in Germany in 1920? Yeah. Right. <laughs> what is that? You know what I mean? Like, so you have to go through all of that, I and do. you have to still print it the way it is. Yeah. This is what he said because it's nonfiction. But then I have to explain. So that ended up taking so much longer that um, with the dating and the timing and everything, and and Leo was finished. So that was originally number two, and Fritz was number one. So we swept it, and here we go. That's the truth. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's a good story. That's still a very good story. Yeah. I'm well, wondering what the lie would have been.
1: Well, I would have... Uh... <laughs> I don't know. I'm not kind of making <laughs> up things. I'm not. I'm yeah. not like I'm this not is a why fiction write writer.
0: Nonfiction. Yeah, this is
1: right. Here. I'm not a nonfiction writer, so I don't know what I would say. I'd have to come up with something.
0: So, what drew you to nonfiction in general, with like a, a kind of a heavier slant on true crime? It seems like. Were you always, as a child, obsessed with crime? Are you one of those people? Because I am. I admit it. Like. When I was a little kid, I remember being little, little, little and hearing about Adam Walsh's disappearance. And then when they found his body and his head was cut off, I was just like petrified as a child, but also like weirdly, like exhilarated, if that makes any sense. Like it was just so exciting um, and heartbreaking. And I think it was like, Exciting is not the right word, but like I just remember my parents being like very hush hush when the case would come on, and they didn't right. want me to hear it. So like, as a kid, I was just like, "Oh, th- I've got to figure out what this is all about."
1: I think um, no, I was totally a, a crime fiction person. Uh, all I did was listen to old radio shows. See, I as a kid, I was listening. I had like fifteen radios, and that's all I did was listen to radio at night day all the time. Uh, You know, uh, one thing I have to explain is because I I came along in the 60s. So I'm an older guy. And um, back then, you see, because I was (laughs) uh, uh, left-handed, autistic, colorblind, and gay. So I had a really hard time in the early days. So it was pretty much me alone. And I listened to a lot of radio And when I watched TV, it was stuff like Dark Shadows TV series. I was so I'm more into the dark fiction sort of thing, Dracula, Frankenstein. So that is where I'm at. But I listened to every um, detective, you know, like on the radio. It didn't Mm -hmm. matter who it was, and it could go from a good one to a Richard Diamond to you name it. I listened to them all back and forth. So I so I was wanting to be a radio guy that uh, was into crime and dark stuff, but more fiction, not not reality. Mm-hmm. The reality came later, later in life when I was actually in producing and doing stuff for the radio, and we did a lot of crime shows, and then I got interested. I think I feel safer with nonfiction because um, I don't have to decide what people do.
0: Right. The story's there. It's just yeah. you're uncovering it for… Yeah,
1: and and I have a really good. I think uh, the spectrum fog that I get into <laughs> is when I go to. This is a real big advantage. Um, I'm very focused on something, so I could sit there for nonstop for day after day, and don't have a problem. Doesn't I don't get bored, and I can also go in to see a killer at the in the prison, <laughs> and I have no emotion toward them. Like I don't. It doesn't interfere. I can compartment. That's mentalize. really interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I you never can thought focus. about that.
1: Yeah. Because I, really I knew. Cool.
0: I knew you had. You had told me once before that you were on the spectrum, and I guess I never thought about what an advantage that would be, especially with dealing with such dark material, yeah. and not and not having like a panic attack halfway through, w- or just w- being w- like I can't talk to this
1: person. You you can actually just sort of you can ultra focus on an item. I can ultra focus on the facts and what I'm doing and what I need to know and not really give emotion. One of the biggest thing people will say is, I can't tell if you're joking or not when I'm talking about things because they can't, they don't know where it's, what I am, like what I'm doing, they can't get that because there's a lot of, you know, being on the spectrum, you have a lot of communication problems. And so when I want to be on the radio, of course, my dad said, no. <laughs> well <laughs> I I totally understand it. I don't hold anything against him. But I I, I get understand. that. When I told you my
0: know. parents I wanted to go to school for theater, they said no. And no. and I went to school for theater anyways. And they were just like, yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well my dad was, you know, I, I told him I wanted to be a DJ and he said he said that um don't you need to know a lot about horses? <laughs> Disc jockey. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the kind of family I grew up in. So it was, it was an uphill battle. It was, a, and it took longer. It took much longer for me to get comfortable to be able to even talk. You know, I mean, I, I picked up riding a bike at thirteen. I think St- didn't start riding till I was sixteen. A bike. So okay. it's it's you know it's a long trip, <laughs> but it's a good trip.
0: It's a good one. It's a good one. Yeah. So. Have you done a lot of, like, interviewing people in the prisons, interviewing criminals, things like that?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that last book was all about a serial murderer, murdered seven people, and uh, uh, the one before this. about it came out a year ago, last October. And, um, um, yeah, I spent two weeks every day with that guy. And um, don't have a problem with, with it. Right. Um, I have a problem think with him. It-
0: did you think at one point that you were going to be the next Truman Capote, like when you were sitting there interviewing like a killer and thinking, like, yeah, I'm going to write the next In Cold Blood?
1: No, I would love to, <laughs> but I, I'm, not that, um, I'm not that good. Um, you know, uh, Truman Capote had a way uh, to be an ultimate true crime writer. Um, he had a way of being able to make you feel every person in it. You know, everyone around, the, the sister, the mother, everybody that was in there was, was written where you knew what that person was thinking. And this is a long time in the 60s, right? So he yeah. had an ability of telling you a true story, but he made each character work off of each other. Yeah, like and that's it. very hard to do. And it's hard I for don't fiction anyone, writers to do. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but you know, but then you have the ability of doing it when you're when you're him. He has to go to that. He had to go to the city, and he had to spend like a couple of years. Really, mm-hmm. you can't you can't do a character that's real like that unless you make it up. So to do that and to get all of their points of views with each other you have to be there for a long time so he put yeah. a lot of time in that he did
0: it, he put it was years it was yeah, years. and
1: and your own emotion and that's the hardest part because then you have to expose your own emotions and change them with everybody you contact so that was a significant thing and i'm not i'm not at that level um i think the strongest thing i do which i take from him is putting in what the two killers were saying to each other But just enough to be appropriate to each chapter. Yeah. You know, yeah.
0: Your book didn't, it never read as like salacious, tabloidy. Um, It it was very factual. And I don't want to say cold, but you weren't, it wasn't like trauma porn, if that makes sense. You know, because some true crime can get like that. People are like, you know, oh, I want. The details, and I, I'm not in it for the details, those no, kind of details. I don't
1: think it needs to be. And, and the thing is, like the last book, too, one before this, there was it was awful what he, this guy did by you know, raped two girls and he did some terrible things. I didn't need to go into all the details.
0: No, right? thank you, thank you. You, you know? don't need to, you don't. you don't,
1: but there's others that will, yeah. and that's out there. And you go for it, but for me, no. Because if you're going to do, just do chapters on all the different details and the gross things that he does to these victims, that's eh, not really my cup of tea. I'm really more into the whole big picture and what happens to all the people around it. Like a Truman Capote, but he was a much better writer.
0: <laughs> well, no, I, I mean he you know, was a he much was, better writer than most.
1: Yeah, most, people, and, and most writers, so, and
0: this is why you know I feel like. Any true crime book you read, people still like to this day they compare it to In Cold Blood.
1: Well, yeah, and like I, I that's what I'd strive Every single to write. one, yeah. I would love to to be able to do that at that ability, but even if you strive at that and make half, you're doing pretty good.
0: You're doing great. Right?
1: I just, I'm, I'm doing okay, but you're you know, I would, okay. I'm still everyone I look at his work and 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 see how well it's done and um. It, it kind of gives you something to go for.
0: Yeah. And, you know, his, his has, you know, lasted the test of time. It's, you know, it's the, the Bible his, of... Yeah. Well, he's got time. his
1: real feelings in it. You know, it's like yeah. when I ask questions with fiction writers, because I try to get that, because I understand that how much of you has to go into that character and that person when you're trying to explain a detail or a feeling. There has to be something, otherwise it doesn't come across as real. So when he's doing it with real people, he's really giving his emotions. That's why he was partially in love, I guess, with the one prisoner. And,
0: yes, uh, yeah. But
1: he had to expose that in the '60s. Yeah. That that
0: wasn't
1: that was not easy to do, and to do it in a book like that, you're opening yourself up to a lot of problems yeah. in the world, especially in the '60s. So, but you know. <laughs> Yeah. But, yeah, just just
0: light reading. Just, yeah.
1: <laughs> just it's just Sunday reading. Just
0: a Sunday light read, like right after the funnies, you just like pick up yeah. In Cold Blood and go. Snoopy
1: and oh, In Cold yeah. Blood.
0: Snoopy and In Cold Blood. They're like, those are the kissing cousins that we were talking yeah. about earlier. Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. Yeah, all of it. Little Orphan Annie and uh, <laughs> falling in love with a, a murderer while you interview him for years in his jail cell. Exactly. Yeah.
1: But yeah. that shows you that's that's if you think about that and it's something you have no control over. It's true. But yet you do but you still go. So there's a, there's so many levels to his his writing in his book. Um to, that you can go through it several times and realize how many different things there's going on at yeah. the same time. It's pretty good.
0: Um so I know we just gushed about Truman Capote. Before we end, um, so you have your witness. The next volume of Killer Queens coming out February. February, okay. And are you allowed to talk about who, what the third volume is?
1: Yeah, the third one is um, um, dealing with Stephen Port in okay. the UK. He okay. is um, um, the grinder serial killer.
0: Okay. He cool. was
1: picking up guys on the grinder, yeah. he was drugging them, killing them, and it, that's one where you say the police, because it was there was five bodies before they decided to do something about it, because they were homosexual in a, they, in a gay park, they just thought, well, they're drug addicts or hustlers, we don't care.
0: Yeah, like they, they were almost
1: asking for it. But they were all teenagers.
0: Ah, of course. Yeah, I
1: know it's, it's, it was one of those, but I've got in that one is special because I got letters from him directly in prison. I got several letters, I got about six or seven letters writing back and forth to him oh about different gosh. things, and it's really revealing of what kind of person he is. So I, I think would love
0: to see his handwriting. Are you gonna oh, like-, it's like
1: a He's like a child and he draws all these little cartoons all over his writing and stuff like his letters. He is like a 12 year old.
0: Oh, and that totally. see that that's chilling. That like this show is called "Let's Scare Jennifer to Death," and those are the details that scare me <laughs> to death. Like I just got chills all over, and I'm like, Ugh. yeah.
1: And that's just an amazing uh, thing. And when you get the detail from the prisoner himself, it's such a flavor. And I don't even have to really comment a lot about what he says. You can just see it in w- the way he writes and the way he talks. You can just like, oh my god, this is crazy. It, wow. it just it's amazing. It's one of the better. Uh, d- inside details because the other people were all dead when I was doing the interview, so you yeah. had to go with their documents. But I always, but I've got him live doing these letters. So,
0: Alan, that's incredible. And uh, <laughs> I'm excited to to continue with this series with you, and I want to read more of your work. Um, I hate to say that, but we are out of time. Everyone? Already? <laughs> Already? I know. It goes, it, it, time flies when you're talking about crime. Yeah. Talking about murder. Um, Alan, thank you for being here. Well, thank you. I want to thank Pam Stack and Roman Saraton at the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Let's Scare Jennifer to Death is a copywritten podcast with the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Stay tuned for next month when I will be interviewing Kevin Deutsch about the Boca Raton murders. And if you are a fan of author interviews in general, please join me and my co-host Allison Martin on Wednesday at 6pm Eastern Standard Time on our show Vox Vomitus, where we are going to be interviewing Jane Ward about her novel, In the Aftermath. Until then.